Well, good evening. My name is Herb, and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to our Tuesday Big Book Zoom workshop. My sobriety date is February 21st, 1984. And one of the keys for my journey, not immediately, but down the road, was a man who quoted Einstein. And he said, the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. I love wisdom sayings like that that are really succinct. And you'll hear me quote many of them as we walk this path together for the entire year. What it means is to the extent that I hold on to my old ideas and my old experience up till yesterday, maybe this morning, to the extent I hold on to them, I'm prevented from having any new information, any new experience. It made total sense to me. My mind is the problem and any solution I come up with, my mind is going to have the problem embedded in it and therefore a corrupt solution. In the beginning, I thought I heard him say, we ask God to give me the power to set aside. And that was the prayer. If you have an old card of mine, you will see it printed on that card. God, please help me set aside. And then after a few years, it wasn't soon, I realized the hubris of that. The pride, the arrogance. Oh, I'm still going to control how much I'm going to set aside. So just give me the power and I'll take care of it. And now you'll notice that the prayer in the way of life document and any other that I distribute asks whatever this God is, this power to do spiritual intervention and open my mind and open my heart. I, I'm inviting it. I'm not sure exactly what it means. I don't know it. I don't feel it necessarily. But I'm open to having it done to me, which if you recall the conversation concerning spiritual awakening, that's exactly the nature of a spiritual awakening, a change that's done to me, not by me, a change in the way I think and feel and behave that's done to me, not by me. And then later on, I added just a couple years ago, but not without me. Because I also further realized that although the spirit can work a miracle, normally it's done after I prepare the ground a bit. And the preparation of the ground is a miracle in itself, but that's a story for another day. So with that preface, the intention is important, the words are not. Join me in the set aside prayer, quietly or out loud, you're on mute, and your version or mine. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps and you for an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps 
and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Previously, when we started the Tuesday workshop, I gave you quotes from the big book that support this approach using the set-aside attitude, the set-aside intention, that are now put into words that I have scripted, that were basically given to me, and that I've changed depending on the circumstances. I quoted from page 58, page 27, and page 42. You can look at those. If, in fact, you haven't, make a note of it and take a look and just find the relevant quote for yourself. If you are new to the workshop tonight, or if in fact you weren't in attendance at any of the previous Tuesday night workshops, they were recorded, they, they have been edited and they are on YouTube so that you can in fact listen to them at your leisure and hear the interpretation as I've given it there. I wanna give another quote though, page 49. It says, we who have traveled this dubious path, it's in chapter four, we agnostic. So he's talking about doubt and the agnostic. We who have traveled this dubious path, this path of doubt, beg you to lay aside prejudice. Again, can you? I realized I couldn't. And therefore it becomes a prayer for it to be done to me. Last week I talked about step 11. And in reviewing afterwards my notes and some of my thoughts in meditation and prayer, I just wanted to add one thing as sort of an image for us with regard to step 11 prayer and meditation. When a golf cart, I don't golf, but I observe what happens. Uh, when a golf cart goes out on the course, it takes the golfers from one tee to the next tee to the next tee. 18 holes. It's powered by electrical batteries. And when they're through with the cart, they put it in a shed and put the cables on the batteries so that the batteries get the current, get the power, get the charge so that it can be of service the next day. It's a wonderful metaphor. Sometimes it's, the, it's what primes my pump in the morning. I put the spiritual battery cables on that morning so that I get enough current and energy and power and guidance for that day to both know, as the step 11 says, to know what is God's will for me today and then the power to do it. I need to know what to do, and then I need the power to do it. And so I thought that might be a helpful image to support you as you're 
embracing this practice of a morning meditation, which I suggested one minute. Step 10 begins on page 84 in the big book. It says, we enter the world of the spirit. Before it says that, we notice that at the end of the ninth step, there are several promises. Really, really wonderful, inspirational promises. Promises of a spiritual awakening, promises of a change. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We are finally in a relationship with power, which is completely the antidote to step one, powerlessness. Are these extravagant? No, they're not. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit as I go through the text. Sometimes I'll read it verbatim. Sometimes I'll just paraphrase it, but I'll make comment about it. They will always materialize if we work for them. What a transition. Steps one through nine are the program of recovery. Steps 10, 11, and 12 are the program of living. Steps one through nine are the deflation of the ego at depth through the establishment of an effective relationship with power. But these promises, although they are at the end of the ninth step, he says, will always materialize if we work for them. Please pay attention. What is the work that will ensure that we get and sustain and expand these promises? This thought, they will always materialize if we work for them, brings us to step 10. Well, let's take a look at step 10 on page 59. Continued to take personal inventory. Hmm. Reference to step four, we took a moral inventory are the words, the formal words in step four. A searching and fearless moral inventory, not in contrast to immoral, but, it, but in uh, connoting moral inventory values. Step four is about identifying our values and how we transgress them. But in contrast, step 10 is about personal inventory, not about our morals, our principles, but about our behavior, hugely different. Step four is about the internal motives and beliefs even as part of our unconscious, and we will unpack our unconscious in step four, as I interpret it anyway. And in step 10, he suggests that we're going to be, my interpretation, looking at our behavior, and then our reaction that created our behavior and our reaction to our behavior. 
Step 10, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. It sounds like a wonderful summary of steps four through nine. That's exactly what it is, although it probably is even broader in its scope. Steps one through nine, since step 10 is an admission of our powerlessness to do any better, we intend to do better and we do no better, we just don't do better. And continue to set these to, to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Listen to this. We vigorously commenced this way of living. What way of living is that? The way he just described it, step 10. But it's broader than that, I believe. It's a code word here. It's steps 10, 11, and 12. This is our way of living. We looked at step 12. We will look even further at it in another couple of weeks in terms of looking at principles. We looked at step 11, prayer and meditation. And now we're looking at step 10, inventory. This is our way of living. As I mentioned, that's the code, a program for living steps 10, 11, and 12, as we cleaned up the past. And so the man who helped me unpack this for the very first time when I was four years sober had me read and highlight this and then outline it, and then we discussed it. And he made the point, he made the connection for the very first time. Oh, I don't wait until I finish the ninth step to do the 10th step. When I finish the eighth step and I'm prepared and understand how to go, and have basically permission from my sponsor to go ahead and begin making amends, that's when I get my step 10 instructions. Before I ever start step nine, as we cleaned up the past, I don't believe there's any other interpretation. As we begin to do step nine, we do step 10, we do step 11, we do step 12. My interpretation of that is, it's really hard to do step nine. In fact, I think it's the hardest step. Everything else is a solitude, except for your sponsor, experience. Whereas step nine, you go out into the world and you're talking to people who are not necessarily friendly or not necessarily understanding or not necessarily spiritual or not necessarily in a 12-step program, anybody that you've harmed so that you can balance the scales, as Chuck C. said. I love the image for step nine. The justice scales, blind justice, and we balance the scales of the harm that we've done by making amends, meaning I change my behavior, and by making amends, meaning I correct the damage that I caused. And they get free and I get free. As we cleaned up the past, I give the men who work with me the instructions on step 10 and then step 11 and then step 12 while they're beginning to do their amends right in the first 
probably month of their doing the step nine, they're being introduced to 10, 11, and 12 in a more in-depth way than we did at the beginning of the process, because I actually use this approach now for the last three years that I've been using for my groups, my workshops, <clears throat> I use it with the individuals for the same reason. Why not approach step one with as much power as you can so that you can have a deeper experience with powerlessness. We have entered the world of the spirit. That's right at the top of the slide. Well, where the hell have we been if we're now at step 10, for God's sakes, and we're just now entering the world of the spirit? I don't know the answer to that, but it seems that we've been in the world of self. Bill confirms that on page 62. We'll look at it when we do step one. You're welcome to look at those two paragraphs. They're the description of the exact nature of unmanageability, probably the best kept secret in the 12 step rooms. Both those paragraphs talk about selfishness, self-centeredness as the root of the problem and everything springs from the root. The fruit of the root are the bedevilments described on page 52, that second paragraph. Unmanageability, the behavioral description. So now we enter the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Wonderful consistency, internal integrity of the big book and Bill's thinking. He uses the model of the human being as having a body, certainly. That's what gets corrupted by uh, the addiction but that we have a mind and a will that make us specifically human and they are tainted also. Addicts have a defective mind. The human beings have a defective will. We'll take a look at all of that as we do step one. As I might have mentioned before, we take three months to do step one. We look at the body and the allergy, the doctor's opinion. We look at the mind, the obsession, part of the doctor's opinion, but definitely described by Bill Wilson's experience. And then we looked at the spiritual malady, unmanageability. We were guided there by Carl Jung. We were guided there by the Oxford group to see that my will is as defective as my mind is as defective as my body. And it all spells bondage. The bondage of addiction first half of the first step and the bondage of life and reality the second half of the first step. Our next function is to grow an understanding that is expanding the knowledge of our mind. Our next function is to grow in effectiveness. That is the power of our will. We get our proper use of our will. We get the proper power to be able to live our life successfully by anybody's standards. 
And that's how he ends this piece on page 85. We'll get there in a little bit. This is not an overnight matter. That's why I like the dimmer switch analogy. The dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time from a very low voltage where it's really dark or at least very dim. And as we gently lean into the dimmer switch, pushing it up one notch at a time, the lights get a little bit brighter. And Bill says in a minute here that we have been placed in a position of neutrality. I don't want to create any controversy, but I do have a very strong interpretation as to what recovered means. Bill uses that on the title page, the second title page of the big book. It says how many thousands of men and women have recovered past tense. And he uses that word consistently throughout the text. He doesn't use the word recovery. He doesn't use the word recovering in any consistent fashion. He uses the word recovered and I'll point it out with maybe some comments each time because I think it really is a promise of hope. Past tense, our addiction will be put behind us. We will solve the problem of the body because we won't be using, we will solve the problem of the mind because we'll have no inclination to use. That's what I believe he means by that. But he very quickly, and we'll take a look at it, promises that that will be physical sobriety, but be careful because we're not cured. Again, the best kept secret in the 12 step rooms based on my experience. What does not cured mean? I'll talk about it in a minute. He says we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. What does that mean? I'll talk about it in a minute. This is the model of step one. This is the model of steps two and three. This is the model of the entire step process. As I now understand it and have experienced it. He says the dimmer switch will go up for our lifetime, he says. It should continue for our lifetime. The dimmer switch will go up for our lifetime because it's not a finite light that we're in orbit around using the rocket launch metaphor. Rocketed into the fourth dimension, he says on page 25. Oh, we get on board the rocket ship. That's our job. But then the rocket ship's going to take us where the rocket ship takes us. And it has three stages, as I've mentioned before in my comments. Stage one, steps one through three, a relationship with power. Stage two, steps four through seven, eliminating the obstacles in ourselves to that power. And steps eight and nine, I would include 10 now just for this conversation, eliminating the obstacles in us in our relationship with others. A three-stage rocket that puts us in orbit around the light. And we can be in orbit around the light as long as we do steps 10, 11, and 12 to make those adjustments. Yes, I am in the rocket ship, but there are levers in there that allow me to stay in the trajectory as antidotes to the gravity of my 
unmanageability and then eventually the gravity of my addiction. We haven't looked at it yet, but I'm going to look at it right now just because I've mentioned that step 10 is inventory, as the book said, but it's a repeat of the inventory that we did in step four, obstacles to power. We identify and analyze that self-centeredness that I talked about, that Bill talks about on page 62 as the root. You can see there, it's laid at the bottom of this foundation because it's the root and the fruit of the root is anger. That's a biological instinct of survival, of fight, translated into the emotional reaction of anger, resentment, anger that's held, resentire, Latin, sentire, to feel, and to feel it again and again and again, and fear, the other biological survival instinct of flight, fight, flight, And the bill in, in step four takes a look at our inappropriate and unhealthy sexual behavior, motives, and beliefs. I also interpret that balance in step four as looking at our dishonesty, which then helps me really understand and build out the biological model from fight and flight and freeze, camouflage, hiding, as the dishonesty mechanism for survival and keeping secrets. I add guilt and shame there in step four just because they're relevant concepts that are very prominent for most people. Not probably as prominent when Bill wrote the big book in 1939. It's important to know this because step 10 is built on it. Dr. Thibault was a psychiatrist that helped Bill Wilson at the beginning, both personally as a therapist, but also most especially uh, professionally as a um, support to building the fellowship and understanding human behavior so that Bill could write the big book in a way that could be heard by most people. He said the, 10 step, excuse me, the first nine, Bill got it right. The first nine steps are for the deflation of the ego at depth. The first nine steps are for the deflation of ego at depth. But the ego has an uncanny way of regenerating itself. That's the point of step 10. A Russian philosopher says all human beings are asleep dreaming that they're awake. And this process is about waking up. Step four, we'll take a look at our beliefs and you can see they're in a different color there. If I'm looking through blue lenses, I will see blue. If I'm looking through yellow lenses, I will see yellow. If I'm looking through pink lenses, I will see pink. I won't know that's what I'm seeing because it's the only thing I see because it's the lens through which I look. And the problem is, most of our lenses are distorted and therefore we see reality distorted, the reality of ourselves, the reality of other people, the reality of reality itself, of the world. 
it's distorted, but we don't know it's distorted because it's the only thing that we can see because we look through the lens at reality and we don't see the lens through which we're looking. And step four begins to identify the lens and the distortions of our beliefs and the distortions of our motives. And therefore the distortions of our emotions. Bill in the 12 and 12 helps us really unpack step 10. The big book has the formula, but the 12 and 12 has the application of the formula in a way that tells us that it's a tool of emotional sobriety. He says, it's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Please, when I heard that, I said, well, no, you have to meet my father. No, 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 you have to meet my bosses. No, 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 you have to meet my wife. I'm disturbed because look at them. You would in fact react like I do, in fact, drink like I do if you had those, that, this, circumstances and experience. I'm 48 years old when I'm believing that. I have an advanced education in philosophy because I was a monk for seven years and in, in, in theology, a graduate education in psychology when I got out. 30 years of human development exposure and experiences and experimentation and now four years in AA and I'm 48 years old when I'm doing this work, four years sober for the very first time. And I'm finding out that Bill was absolutely right. I'm disturbed because of my distorted emotions, my distorted lenses. I believe delusions and my motives are corrupt. And I didn't know that I didn't know, and I couldn't see that I didn't see. And it's the very first time that the steps and step 10 especially made any sense to me. It's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. I do not have a part in my disturbance. I do not have a part in my resentments. You hear it in meetings, and I do understand why people say it that way. It's an easy way to speak. It's just wrong. I don't have a part in being disturbed. I don't have a part in my resentment. I came to understand and experience and accept that I have 100% responsibility. Nobody can make me angry. Nobody can make me disturbed. No circumstance and no person, no institution and no reality can disturb me or make me angry. Circumstances and people are not my problem. My problem is my reaction to circumstances and people. As I say, I didn't know that until I knew it. I didn't see that until I saw it. And that was in the fourth step and it was progressive. And when we get to the fourth step, I'll talk about that progression in the stages of thawing out emotionally. I thawed out in the rooms for four years physically. And then I was ready to hear what I'm talking about now. 
but only partially. And for the next 10 years doing these steps three different times with three different men, I thought out emotionally and since then have thought out spiritually. My body and my emotions and my mind and my will. And I've been given the grace of being rehabilitated as a human being. This is our way of life, rehabilitation. But Bill says it here in the big book. I'm back now on page 84. He says, continue to watch for <laughs> there we are. resentment and fear and dishonesty and selfishness. That's why I showed you the slide on step four. Because Bill says that here in the big book. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear. Because it's a recap of step four, and it's a recap of steps four through nine in terms of the entire formula. Listen to the book, though. I'm a big book fundamentalist and literalist. In the best of senses, I pay attention to the words. I try to understand what Bill's intentions are, what the words' meanings are, what the uh, implications are of these words. Watch for, he says. This is about vigilance. When these crop up. Oh, my goodness. He did not say if. He said when. We never transcend our humanity. Unmanageability is not connected to addiction. Unmanageability is connected to my human nature. I can be freed from my addiction. I am not going to be freed from my human nature. I don't ever transcend my human nature. I will always experience the speed bumps of life. And when I do, I have three basic survival mechanisms, fight, flight, and freeze. Translated into emotional mechanisms, translated into misbehavior. And the root cause is my selfishness. My will is deficient. My will will always choose me. And I don't have enough willpower to turn that around. And that's why in step three, we make a commitment to turn. I use the word alignment, to be in alignment with reality, to be in alignment with God, to be in alignment with the power other than myself. Bill uses the language, turn our will and our life over to the care of God. Think about a GPS. I have a car. I have the keys. I have a driver's license. I know how to drive the car. I know where I want to go. I don't know how to get there. I get in the car. I plug in the address into the GPS. And then I listen and I follow direction. This is what step 10 is, listening for direction. When these crop up, I am disturbed. Then he says, I have to take some action. We ask God at once to remove them. 
goodness. I'm powerless, therefore I must pray. And I've learned that from an experience in steps one, two, and three. And with the rest of the steps four through nine, under each of the components of each of the steps is prayer. Under resentment, he says, we can't get rid of it. We're as powerless over our resentment as we are over alcohol. So pray. Under fear, we're as powerless over getting rid of our fear as we are over our addiction. Pray. In the sex inventory, we are as powerless to have even the right principles, let alone to apply them properly and consistently. And so we pray. And then under each of the following steps, and I won't go through them, but I will at some point. We're powerless even to be truthful in the fifth step. And so we pray, etc. The very first action in the 10th step when I'm disturbed is to pause and pray. The pause is to recognize that in fact, I'm disturbed. But look at the next item then he says, we discuss them with someone immediately. Notice he said in the first, we ask God, that's a code for prayer at once to remove them. But then he says, we discuss them with someone immediately. We don't do step 10 at night. We don't do step 10 in writing. He doesn't say that, neither in the big book nor in the 12 and 12. In fact, the 12 and 12 gives us, I read it again today, a repetitive confirmation of the exact nature of step 10 tool. It's a spot check inventory. What do we mean by that? When I'm disturbed on the spot, I take step 10 on the spot. I pray, oh my God, I've been insensitive again. And it was with my executive secretary. So, oh, I have to go back and talk it over with her. And she goes, yeah, I know you're a jerk, Herb. I mean, we had that long-term relationship and she knew I was in recovery and she knew I wanted to be a better human being. And when I wasn't, she would remind me and she was open to my coming and apologizing and regretting and asking if there was anything else that I could do. And she said, yeah, go have lunch because when you get hungry, you're a jerk. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you begin to develop some humility, but some very practical support from the community around you. I did the same with my boss, by the way. I, I went to him and I explained what I'm doing and what I want to do in terms of I'm an inconsiderate person almost by nature, but certainly by habit, and that I want to be a better person. If he sees me doing something mischievously, or if he hears about it, I'm inviting him to come and talk to me. And a couple of times a year he did. No, I was there 10 years with that same boss and he regularly would come by and say, slipped off the rails, Herb, a little bit here. Perhaps you could take care of that. I mean, talk about freedom, the freedom to be human, the freedom to make a mistake and the freedom to correct it. We discuss them with someone immediately. Third item. We make an amend. I try to change my behavior, but I try to balance the justice scales also. We make amends quickly if we have harmed someone. 
And then this final fourth ingredient to this four-part tool. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Pay attention to the words. He doesn't actually say we go help anybody. We resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Well, Bill was a pretty decent psychologist from a common sense standpoint, and he knew if, in fact, we were beginning to think about other people, number one, we weren't thinking about ourselves, and number two, eventually, we would take the action to actually help. It was in this process that I dropped using the word service for step 12 and for sponsorship and for helping out. Practice these principles in all our affairs. I substituted the word help in my meditation. It came to me, the wee small voice, the tiny whispering sound said, Herb, drop the word service. It's too sophisticated. You need a much simpler word. Use the word help because it has earth in it. It has dirt in it. You will get frustrated. You will get your hands dirty. Your time will be abused and you will get tired if you're truly helping. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. There it is, love and tolerance. My attitude and my behavior. Those are words I believe from one of Dr. Bob's final talks. Keep it simple, love and tolerance. As, and we have ceased fighting anyone or even alcohol. Here's the promise now with regard to the first half of the first step, addiction. Substitute the word addiction for alcohol. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone. For sanity will have returned. We haven't had much conversation about sanity. It's not used in the big book in a psychiatric or psychological sense. Again, a lot of misinterpretation in the rooms. I'm not being critical. I'm just being careful with my understanding of words. Because step two says restore to sanity. And you hear silly questions about that, that imply about psychiatric and psychological stuff, which is not the meaning. And we'll look at it deeply when we go into step one, and we look at the problem of the mind, especially Jim's story, pages 35 to 37. On 37, Bill defines what sanity means because he tells us what insanity means. On page 37, after <clears throat> discussing Jim's story, the car salesman to put a little whiskey in his milk, he said, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. Well, Bill was a wordsmith and he knew that the, probably that the word insanity came from the Latin sanus, S-A-N-U-S, which means health. And when you put an I-N in front of it, it means not healthy. Listen to Bill's definition on page 37. How can a lack of proportion, 
That's insanity, unhealthy thinking, a lack of proportion, a lack of the ability to think straight, unhealthy thinking. We're subject to and vulnerable to the obsession. An idea that dominates the mind in such a way it's the only idea. Again, we'll, we'll unpack this very deeply when we go into the problem of the mind and obsession and delusion. But it's relevant here because Bill uses it. By this time, sanity will have returned. What he means is that we're invulnerable to the obsession. Not only has the drinking or the addiction use stopped, we're placed in a position of neutrality, the inclination to use alcohol or substance or process addictions has been removed. That's what he's saying here. That's why I started out by saying recovered past tense. The obsession is removed and it stays removed as long as we live behind the spiritual shield, this way of living. Think about being in orbit. That orbit is the shield provided by the light. And as long as I'm in orbit around the light, I have a spiritual shield. Think Star Wars. When the shield was intact, the starship was invulnerable. Nobody could attack it successfully. When the shield was not intact, when it was open or when it had a defect in it, the starship was vulnerable. We have a spiritual shield living in the light, in orbit around the light, and staying in orbit around the light because we make those adjustments on a daily basis. When we're disturbed, we apply step 10, and we stay in alignment in the orbit around the light. And in step 11, we get guidance as to how to manage staying in orbit around the light, not only with the knowledge, but the power to do so. And in step 12, we operate on principles, uh, natural, universal, spiritual, human principles that allow us to stay in orbit around the light. And mostly because we have thinking about and actually occasionally helping somebody else, which is one of the principles of human behavior. If you want to be in the light and not in the darkness, you have a relationship with light and you spread the light. You're not only a channel of light into yourself, but the light shines in you to you and then through you to other people. And that's just how we're built. That was the absolute conclusion of 10 different books I read of studies that are done by positive psychology and the Harvard School of Happiness. If you want to have a decent human life and be emotionally mature and spiritually fit and have a life of flourishing, you will have a meaning broader than yourself and you'll contribute to the people around you. It's that simple and also that challenging. Steps 11 and 12, the spiritual coin or the coin of restoration to our full humanity. We recoil from our addiction as from a hot flame, a wonderful contrast to the person he alludes to 
in the step one discussion about putting his hand on the hot stove, not remembering it burned me yesterday. Now he's saying you'll recall it, you'll recoil from it. You will act sanely on page 85 and normally with this new attitude. It's a gift. It has been given us without any thought or effort on our part, a bit of an overstatement. My God, if you've done steps one through nine, you know how arduous and how much work, how challenging it is to do that work and finish step nine. So Bill gives it a bit of an understatement when he says without any thought or effort on our part. But what he's trying to tell us is that the outcome of our work is disproportionately larger than our contribution to it. Totally my experience. We are not fighting it. We feel as we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We're behind the spiritual shield. The problem has been removed. Please hear the vocabulary. I didn't do this formula and uh, one plus one makes two. No, I did steps one through nine and one plus one equals five. The outcome was disproportionate to my contribution to it. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, here's the essence of his teaching, Bill's teaching, the big book's teaching, as I'm unpacking it here on step 10. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action, 10, 11, and 12, and rest on our laurels. It's a reference to the Roman and Greek reward system for theater and athletics. The winners would get a branch from the laurel tree that would be made into a crown that they could wear in the village for a week or a month, I'm not sure. Uh, lots of other things came with it, but the most prominent thing that people wanted was the recognition that they were next to the gods. That was the indication that they had come as close as a human being can to being a god. And they could wear this crown of laurels because of their past accomplishments. But Bill is saying we can't rest on our past accomplishments. Yesterday's work of meditation, yesterday's work of helping, Yesterday's work of doing the steps and inventory and staying clean. Yesterday's work will not take care of today. We are headed for trouble. Our addiction is subtle. And you'll see that when we do step one in the deep dive that we take. He says we're not cured of alcoholism. That's the unmanageability. That's the bedevilments. That's the spiritual malady. That's the self-centeredness that I talked about at the beginning of our conversation tonight. What we really have is a daily reprieve. Again, the best kept secret in the rooms. What do we mean by daily reprieve? Well, maybe Bill means daily reprieve. I looked up the word in the dictionary, reprieve. Stay of execution. I have a daily stay of execution from the onslaught of my obsession, as long as I keep the spiritual shield intact. 
that's a huge metaphor and, and a value proposition for practicing 10, 11, and 12. Not that fear will bring us to this practice because it won't, but it doesn't hurt. We have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. What the hell does he mean by that? Maintenance of our spiritual condition. Oh, he's going to tell us. Every day is a day, daily reprieve, when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. It's a complex sentence. Let's take it apart. Every day is a day, daily reprieve. We must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Whose vision? If we were in the room, I would hear a murmur. For 25 years, I've heard the same murmur when I asked the question, whose vision? It's a low volume murmur, but it comes from many, 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 many people. When I ask whose vision, they say God's vision. No, that's not it at all. I don't know what God's thinking. I don't know what God's vision is. We must carry the vision of God's will, my vision. He's building us. He's introducing us into the practice of meditation. In the morning, I want to know what I'm being asked to do today and who I'm asked to be today. It's my vision of God's will. It's my vision of reality as reality is evolving and manifesting. It's my vision of my invitation based on the guidance that I'm receiving. And then he has in quotes, which of course is the prayer and the question, how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. He ends many of the prayers and certainly the discussion and suggestions on meditation with that. Thy will be done. You see, with my free will, I get to choose to be in alignment with my understanding of God's will. Thy will be done. We'll see in step one that I do have willpower. I have free will. But not with regard to my addiction. I have no choice with regard to my addiction. When I engage, I lose control, the allergy. My body is defective. When I don't engage and I make a commitment to not get involved, my mind is defective and it is vulnerable to the obsession. No choice. When I start, I have no choice to continue, but to continue. When I stop with a resolution to stop, I have no choice. I will pick up on my own power. Dash that my life had become unmanageable. My willpower is as defective and deficient with regard to my life as it is with regard to my addiction. Wow, kind of screwed would be the conclusion. And Bill says that we have a sense of doom and hopelessness. And yet in step two, he asks us to make a decision. How ironic is that? In step two, chapter four, he asks us to make a decision after he's pummeled us with the 
experience that we don't have the ability to make a decision. Oh, but it's different. In step one, we don't have a decision over our addiction and we don't have a decision over managing our lives. But in step two, he says, we do have a decision on page 53. Not about addiction and not about our life, but about God or no God. Page 53. God is or God isn't. What's your choice? There it is. There's the power of my willpower to choose God or not God. And that's what Bill said in reference to the traditions. We don't need any laws or regulations. There's only two disciplines in Alcoholics Anonymous. One is God and one is alcohol. You're either going for one or you're going for the other. Listen to the dimmer switch. You're going toward the dark side or you're going to the light side. There's no in-between. The dimmer switch is going up or the dimmer switch is going down. It's on a greased axle and it's wired to go backwards. I need to stay gently pressed up against it. And if I do that, the results will be that in contrast to resentment, I will experience forgiveness, releasing them. I will experience trust instead of fear. I will experience honesty instead of dishonesty. And I will experience love instead of selfishness. Love in the sense of altruism. I looked up the word because love can be used in many different contexts and it has very different meanings. I love coffee. I love my home. I love my program. I loved my wife. I loved my children. I love my grandchildren. I have just used loved in totally different meanings in every one of those, including my wife and my children and my grandchildren. Very different. So I looked up the word in the dictionary, altruism, which has come the closest to my definition of unconditional love. Doing something for the benefit of somebody else with no possible benefit to myself. That's my ideal. That's what I think of God. God is love and love is a verb and love is an action. Basically plagiarizing from Chuck C's new pair of glasses. This is emotional sobriety. This is the rite of passage to humanity, to our human living, to our optimal living. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. I'm back on page 85. These are thoughts, this vision. How can I be in alignment with reality, in alignment with the flow of reality? Reality just is, don't take it personally. Reality just is, it's immutable, it's non-negotiable. It just is, it's not fair or unfair. It's just is. And my job is to identify it, to accept it and to adjust to it. When I don't adjust to reality, I get disturbed. And when I'm disturbed, I get attention. And when I get tension, the best way for me to relieve tension is through my addiction. This is the whole point of step 10, is to live in serenity, 
to live in the flow, to live in harmony, to live in contentment, to live in a sense of personal peace and fulfillment. These are not just fancy, poetic, mythical terms. This is, this, that was just a description of the life I've led for 30 years. Not without speed bumps, goodness. You can't have a wife of 52 years die and not hit a very major speed bump three years ago. But this program gives us the spiritual shock absorbers, the emotional and psychological shock absorbers to be handled, to, to handle those speed bumps. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line. What line is that? Oh, the line of reality. I can adjust to reality and be in the flow. I can be in alignment with reality. That is uh, my willpower. That is my choice, God or no God. It is the proper use of the will, Bill says. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from God, who has all knowledge and power. We'll challenge all of that in step two as to what it is you believe and or want to believe. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. I didn't make up the term flow. It's from the big book. To some extent, we have become God conscious. That's the whole point of step 11. We saw that in spiritual awakening. In fact, there's a great line in there that says, awareness of the presence of God is the essence of a spiritual experience. Just that awareness. You notice it's not knowledge, it's not certitude, it's not feeling, it's not emotion. It's awareness. It's subtle until it's not. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, life-giving sixth sense. We're living in the fourth dimension with the sixth sense. Bill has a wonderful way with words. But we must go further, and that means more action. And he then starts, talks about step 11. I'm going to um, take us, well, let's see what I got here. <laughs> oh, step, just a recap of how I began with um, Bill talking about our way of living. We commenced this way of living, and I like the St. Francis prayer's use of the word channel in terms of the light or the flow, because inventory clears the channel. I'm the channel. Step four was the roto-rooter, and it cleaned out the obstacles in me and the clouds that brought the shadows and prevented me from a relationship with the light. And step 10 just is a continued clearing of the obstacles in us through those things that disturb us. In our step 11, we fill the channel, prayer and meditation, bring the light and the energy and the grace and the God 
not to us because it's already there, but it makes us aware of it and makes it available to us through that awareness. And step 12, when my channel is filled, then it spills over. I'm not the light, I'm the lantern. And the brighter the light, the more light there is on the path that I walk so that others can walk that path in the light of my experience. I clear the channel so that it can be filled. I fill the channel so that I can live and I allow that channel and I want that channel to be distributed to the community, the environment uh, surrounding me so that others can have the same experience of freedom. And I want to confirm the assignment going forward for next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about I would like uh, to unpack the Roman numerals uh, in the uh, uh, assignment two. So if you look at assignment two, if you have that downloaded, and if you don't make, just make some notes. Uh, item number one was for you to take a look at the Roman numerals and begin reading them, asking yourself four questions as you're reading it, not answering those four questions, but continuing to read from the title page up through to the doctor's opinion, not including the doctor's opinion. And now I'm asking you to finish that reading if you haven't finished, and if you have finished, to uh, answer those questions if you haven't answered those questions. And it, uh, uh, not a one word, yes or no, <laughs> please. Make it a full sentence or a paragraph or a page on each question. Um, I'm trying to set some, general guidelines. I don't have any rules about it. But if in fact you follow my suggestions, it's highly, it's highly probable that you'll have something to approximate that spiritual awakening that we talked about. And uh, then we'll, we'll uh, look at that. Um, also um, on that page, um, uh, toward the end, uh, item number five is to take a look at the title page the second title page. The first title page just has the words Alcoholics Anonymous on it. The second title page has the some other words on it, but I'm asking you to take a look at the words Alcoholics Anonymous and what does anonymous mean? And we'll have a, a discussion about that as well. Um, I will be unpacking the Roman numerals uh, next week like I did with spiritual awakening and step 11 and step 10 tonight. Um, previously, uh, spiritual awakening and step 11 and tonight, step 10. And then um, at the end of next week, I'm going to give another assignment that isn't actually in the assignment list. It came to me this week in my meditation that I want to I wanna cover some areas of sponsorship more deeply and also principles, practice these principles in all our affairs. I want to cover those more deeply. And that will be the first time that I've done that uh, in the workshop approach, but I think it will be a benefit to everybody to have that exposure and more about that later. When you unpack this tonight um, on step 10, I cannot tell you how this has helped me. Um, this has opened up my mind tremendously. I've had it unpacked by other people and 
never made this kind of sense before. I never really looked at it line by line. Yeah. And that it brings tears to my eyes. Well, it's so dense. Yes. So I want to thank you very much for that. Well, um, you're, you're very welcome. Yeah, I'm glad it uh, was helpful. That was the point. I have, I have gone through this all week on my own just to see if I can get ready for tonight. And I have to say that I didn't pull all that out of this. And so that's right. been wonderful. Thank you. Right. Yeah, and it's been a consistent experience of mine. That's why I stay gently pressed up against it. This isn't just my uh, sort of teaching method for you. This is my exp living experience with the big book that when I touch it, something breaks open and I go, I never saw that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So thank you. In the end of the matter, if I wash the dishes or whatever I do, it's not for the sake of the person that I'm helping. That's a nice, that's a nice thing to do. But it's like I came to a place and I, I'm now refining what I'm saying. It's for God's sakes. That means to come to the level of godliness that that's what you said, if I understood you correct, that you do things not in order to get things back. So I'm just thanking you for the idea of that vision because many times I thought, oh, God's vision for me. So I just wanted to, to actually say it out loud because this is the terminology yeah. that we don't find on the streets. Given your background and your religious tradition, it might be interesting for you to revisit Genesis where it said God made humans in God's image and likeness. What does that mean, I wonder? Maybe it means that we have a mind and will that makes us specifically human, and maybe that's just the spark of the divine knowledge and power. Maybe image and likeness is, in fact, we're made like God, and that's probably where we as human beings get confused. And in the beginning of step three, Bill says we have to stop playing God because it doesn't work. But that's, awesome. the, but that's the confusion of our unmanageability. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, God yeah. bless you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. In the reading tonight, it said that we are not cure, cured of alcoholism. Right. But in other places, it says that we have recovered. Yes. So... And we'll look more deeply at that and be able to appreciate it, I think, more deeply. Um, and, and I'm going to, I want to answer that by saying recovered for me means the first half of the first step connected to addiction, but not cured means the second half of the first step, meaning unmanageability. And I think if you listen or re-listen to uh, my explanation around there. It was pretty dense and intense on my part. I could feel it as I was doing it. And um, so it, it would bear re-listening to. Okay. But that's, but that's the distinction. Uh, from Simply put, recovered refers to addiction, the first half of the first step. Not cured refers to unmanageability, the second half of the first step. 
And, and it's, I'm so glad you asked it because it's critical to understanding the practice of 10, 11, and 12 and why it's, it's really not optional if you want to live a full human life. I have to confess that I was extremely ashamed that I couldn't finish the ninth step or even begin it. Um, I started working with someone um, on the eighth step and I got stuck. And I appreciate what you said tonight about fright, flight, um, freeze, or freeze. And, and I am a freezer, so I freeze. Yeah. I do nothing when I get stuck. Yeah. And I have, since I started working the eighth step, I gained weight. <laughs> I got kind of stuck in my life. Sure. And I've been coming to your workshop and I'm sorry for that, not, ex not expressing my gratitude for the testimonial about my progress through step four, which was a beautiful experience last year. And I hang on to that with the hope. My question is, when I go through this process a second time, um, I'm rereading things. Is there a suggestion that you might have as I go through this process a second time? I really, really want to be successful and get through step eight and nine successfully. I'm really, really desiring that spiritual awakening. Well, why don't you do step eight? while you're doing this work and finish step nine while you're doing this work. You can walk and chew gum. Okay. Okay. Thank Redoing you. the steps is a great excuse and escape from doing the ninth step. Oh. <laughs> if yeah. I soul search that answer, I think you're right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much. I'm glad you were open to hearing that. Thank you so much. You know, I just had a clarification on, on assignment two on the bottom where it says read guide pages seven to 22. I thought you had said not to bother reading that guide. The, the step assignments are set for workshops other than this workshop. And so I've made the comment that some of those optional items are not even relevant to this workshop. I would, I would not recommend people go to the step guide at all. Okay. Um, the, the most relevant uh, reading would be the 12 steps to spiritual awakening. And if you wanted to do extra uh, in the area of meditation, my th uh, third book of uh, practicing the here and now would be uh, good, but uh, the 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening would be the best companion to this step work, um, other yeah. than obviously participating in both Monday and Tuesday night. Okay, I have those. They're great. Okay, yeah. thank you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you asked the question because it reinforces uh, the, the, the cleaning up and the clarity with regard to some of the material, which obviously I didn't think through for this particular workshop as clearly as I'm beginning to, thanks to your questions. I just mostly wanted to say this is so much fun. Um, <laughs> well, what's fun about it so far? <laughs> well, I love, um, boy, I've been, I've been in recovery for, I don't know, 
for in the in the twelve steps for more than thirty years. Let me say that. Yeah. Okay. And um, I've always thought that Bill was one of the best writers I've ever read, and I'm kind of a I'm a reading geek, you know, so I like good writing. But to have you um, pull these things apart and also go back and forth. And the, the other thing I just wanted to say is that I, I came through, I didn't lose my abstinence, but I came through a really dark time. And recently, three meetings in a row, somebody mentioned that part in the big book where it says either God is everything or God is nothing. <laughs> and, and I realized, oh my God, I gave the food and the alcohol, but the rest of my life, I think I'm in charge of. Yeah. What does and, God and, know and, about money? <laughs> well, this is exactly what it was about, of course. So <laughs> anyway, it's just fun to have you pick it apart and your knowledge and, and, and your appreciation of his writing is fun. So that's all I wanted to say. So thanks. Uh, and you can tell I have fun with it. It's deadly serious, uh, the work itself and the disease. But I don't take myself, I try not to take myself seriously. Yeah. Yeah. The, the compulsion has been lifted. It's a grace. Mm. But I've been living in such darkness. Mm. And it's still a grace that the compulsion has been lifted. I've been doing the work to the best of my ability. But if I wasn't, if I wasn't on this meeting today, um, it, it, I don't know. I can't just live in that hole anymore. <laughs> like the eating left that hole. And now it, I can't do it. And I just can't do it anymore. And I know that's what brought me to yeah. this, this yeah. meeting. Yeah. And uh, it's being filled. And I feel it being filled, not by your knowledge, but by your essence. <laughs> I don't know how to say it in any other way. When you talk, it, it's not that your knowledge is talking. I feel it's you that's talking and this is where i want to be this is what i want wonderful more than anything more than anything else i just want to be true to my essence yeah no it's wonderful pascal's uh, a philosopher writer said the whole in us is in the shape of god it's a phenomenal wise saying and we try wow. to fill it with so many different things God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. What does Bill mean by that? I wonder if he meant that. Yeah, we're going to see that. Yeah, that's uh, it. I know that I cannot afford to um, to to uh, not work. It's like you said, I just have to be pressed up gently. That's it. Not force it, but I need to stay pressed up. I can't afford not to be there. See, we so. can't rest. Bill's suggestion is do not rest on your laurels. My suggestion is gently lean into it. Yes, thank you so much. But set aside part, everything is just, it is waking me up yeah. in a whole new way. And I'm, I'm realizing I don't understand a manageability like I thought I did. So I have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm willing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the hook that hooked me at 10 years of sobriety because I didn't know 
until somebody laid it out for me and I had a whole new experience with me. And it explains so much about my life, but also a lot about relapse for other people. And we'll talk more about that later on. Thank you so much. When is it right to fire your sponsor? When you need to move on. You're, this is your life. It's a matter of life and death. You don't have to explain it to anybody. You can make a decision. It might be the wrong decision, but you can make your, your own decision and, and engage somebody who you feel can support you. Be really clear as to why you're terminating the relationship because a really good sponsor will irritate you. <laughs> they will ask you to do things you don't want to do. And uh, if in fact you terminate your relationship with people who are telling you good advice because you don't want to take it, then you're just going to die and that's okay. It's your life. You can do with it what you want. So, yeah. Okay. Does that answer the question? Yes. Yeah. yeah there's a wonderful uh, pamphlet in AA um, about sponsorship. There's a better book published by Hazelton on sponsorship uh, by Hamilton B. If you're interested in getting a little more information, but uh, pray the set aside prayer about your motives. What do you look and and then really get really clear in writing? What are you looking for in a sponsor? And quite frankly, if you could wait a couple weeks, um, in terms of taking any significant action. Uh, we're going to be talking at, at length about sponsorship. Uh, if you don't want to wait, um, I did a workshop on sponsorship. I forget the date, but it's on YouTube. And it's a three-hour in-depth discussion on sponsorship. So you could, uh, you could uh, listen to that, and that might be quite helpful to you at this point. It's a, it's a, very, it's a critical question. It's a critical question. There's no, there's no sponsor training, and there's no sponsor test. So um, it makes it really difficult to select people who know what they're doing. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. It's a great question. I can be free of my compulsion to drink. Yes. But I will never be cured of my unmanageability. And I certainly don't have a problem with that concept because I know it to be true for me. Yeah. And I see it around the room. So I know. And yeah. uh, but then. Uh, recovered from the condition, I see that as I'm never really recovered. I recover daily because I always have to be leaning into it or working the program. And, uh, and, and is that correct? Is That's that not my interpretation, no. Okay. I mean, Bill says we're placed in a position of neutrality. What does that mean? Well, that would mean we have no, well, for neut neutral, then we have no problems at that point with it. We're, we're recovered, but we're not, but then he says we're not cured. What does that mean? Well, that means we can always relapse. Oh yeah. But, but what would be the first compromise that would bring about relapse would be that we don't have an effective relationship with power. And he, so he says 10, 11 and 12, is the proper use of the mind and the will. And if we have that spiritual shield that's developed through and sustained by 10, 11, and 12, that's what, 
at least it's my approach to making that distinction, which gives me a value proposition for practicing on a daily basis, 10, 11, and 12. I can, I can hold, uh, mm, I can, I can mm, continue to have a, a spiritual shield that protects me from the obsession, but I can't stop the obsession on my own power. And so that's what I mean by recovered versus not cured. Okay, so I just have the verbiage uh, mixed around in my head. Well, maybe, yeah, just to play with it, you know, and um, yeah. if, if you have my 12 steps to spiritual awakening, it kind of lays it out in a graph and that kind of thing. Or, or as we go further, especially just be patient with yourself and processing at least my concepts and some of my vocabulary. And when you finish the first step, I believe all of this will be crystal clear when we finish the first step. But again, that's four months away. I certainly hope so. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm certainly happy to be here. I know that. Thanks so much. Thank now I'm going to bring it to conclusion with the serenity prayer. And then we'll keep it open for a while until we all go away. So please join me in the serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. What can I influence? What can't I influence? That's the discernment that comes from wisdom. And the product of this spiritual awakening is wisdom allowing us to navigate life on life's terms, not ours.